You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Our text this morning's in Colossians 1 as well, <clears throat> verses 24 through 29. Uh, you can stay seated if you'd like, but you're welcome to read along with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Amen. This is the word of God. In verse 23, Paul stated that he was a servant of the gospel that was being proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And then in this morning's text, Paul continues that statement and explains how he is a servant of it, specifically how serving Christ manifests itself in our lives, in his life, in three ways. The first being to be a servant of Christ equals suffering for Christ. Everybody's favorite topic, right? The second being the servant of Christ, meaning proclaiming Christ. Maybe the topic that most of us as believers are most fearful about. And the third being the servant of Christ equals laboring for Christ. The thing that most believers are most comfortable with doing. Working harder, right? Instead of resting in his grace more so. Well, we are going to look at each one of these this morning, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for you, for you, the Colossians, the church in Colossae, the young church, if you remember that he had not met in person, but through Epaphras had come to know and love, and is writing this letter too. Now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul is suffering for them. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. We're going to break this verse down. We're going to spend the most time on this verse because at first glance you go, wait a minute. If you didn't scratch your head, read it again. <laughs> Paul here is stating that he is rejoicing in his sufferings for the young church. Keep in mind, again, these are people he had not met. Paul is realizing that his suffering is setting a good example for them, even though he had not had the chance to spend time with them like he had with several of the other letters that he's written in the New Testament. Paul also personally embracing the fact that serving Christ equals suffering for Christ. And so here are several different scripture references that I'm going to have, if you guys want to pop that up for context Feel free to write these down. They'll be up there for a little bit. But this is where Paul is talking about Scripture as a whole for context, as well as Paul, Jesus, Peter are talking about suffering for Christ. 
Okay, so if somebody is telling you a message that you do not have to suffer for Christ, that message is false. Or that if you just have enough faith, you won't have to suffer. That message is false. Scripture very clearly, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, says we will suffer for Christ if we are following him. Jesus flat out says, take up your cross and follow me. Not your pretty little trinket you hang on the wall or put around your neck. Take up the cross that people were tortured for, put to death on, nails driven through hands and feet, and died for. Take up that cross and follow me. Okay? Suffering while following Christ go hand in hand. You're like, well, why would I want to believe in this? I don't have to convince you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm not a salesman up here trying to get you to believe something. Now, can God heal us? Absolutely. Can God save us from suffering? Absolutely. As he chooses and when he chooses in his sovereignty and perfect plan. Some suffering is for those who love Christ so that their faith would increase, their selfishness would decrease, resulting in the increased praise and worship of Jesus Christ. We can see that in Romans 8.28. Some suffering is also for the completion of what Christ suffered for when he was here, which is the second part of the verse. Now this part gets really confusing. Let me read it again. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Now this part of this verse is probably one of the most debated verses in Scripture. Okay? And that's the beauty and joy of teaching through a book of the Bible going verse by verse. We get to hit these and we get to talk about them. All right? It will continue to be debated over the years to come. And we can be tempted to take one of two approaches when we come across a verse like this that it just doesn't make sense. How in the world could Paul complete what Christ didn't complete? You're saying that this verse is Paul saying that Christ didn't really suffer enough and that Paul then had to complete that suffering? No. But we can begin to doubt when we come across something like this. One approach would be to begin to doubt, begin to doubt the Bible as a whole and our faith and say, well, this is confusing and doesn't make sense. It seems to contradict the rest of Scripture. So is the whole thing null and void? That could be one approach. Another approach could be we could write it off, skip over it, pretend it doesn't matter and move on and say, that's not important and I'm going to move forward. Well, I believe there's a third and better approach when we do not understand something in the Bible. First of all, that we remember... God is God, we're not. Okay? God is God, we're not. His ways are higher than ours. His plans and thoughts are higher than ours. As it says in Isaiah 55, all scripture is from God and important. That's the second thing we need to remember. It's in here for a reason. Okay? So when it's confusing, it doesn't give us a <clears throat> hall pass, if you will, to be lazy about our scripture study. 
and just slide past it. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and important. Therefore, we have a responsibility as believers, as people who love Him, to want to know more about Him, to take the time and to do the due diligence and the work of trying to figure this out. And so in my effort to better understand this, I recruited somebody smarter than me to help me out. And sometimes that's what it takes. Somebody who's going to be able to go back to the original languages and look at it from a different perspective. So I recruited my oldest son, Spencer. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. You got to hear him preach here with me on Father's Day, but he studied Greek in college all four years and minored in it. <clears throat> so I can say, Spencer, give me a literal translation of Greek, and he can do that. Whereas I can't. I'm using resources and things. I can't pull out a Greek New Testament and just do that like he can. So I'm going to give you what he wrote down, as well as another version of Scripture in English, and then we'll conclude what Paul's really saying here. And again, keeping in mind context, okay? Context of Scripture. You can't take a verse out of context and say you think it means what, it, what you want it to mean. By his stripes we are healed. We can make that think it believe it means a lot of things that it really doesn't. It means about our spiritual condition is healed through Jesus' stripes, not our sickness and our bank accounts and our cars and things like that. That's for another sermon. Spencer's literal translation should be on the screen here. Now I rejoice through my sufferings for you all, and I fill up my part of what is lacking in my flesh with the affliction of Christ on behalf of his unified people, which is the church. Pretty clunky, right? It's not the easiest thing to read. You can't just kind of read it and get a picture of it. You kind of have to break it down into chunks and look at it, okay? Then he smoothed it out. So he took that and smoothed it out. Now I rejoice throughout my sufferings for you, and I supplement in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. Okay, a little easier to read. Still not 100% clear what Paul's trying to say here. So let's look at the New American Standard Bible, which is actually one of the most accurate English translations of the Bible. I know there are some huge King James fans here. It's not the most English, accurate English translation, just so you know. The New American Standard Bible is. It says it this way, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay, so we're, you catching some nuances here? I'm doing my share. Paul talking about doing his part in the suffering for the church. Okay. So we can take these and look at it and take the message of what Paul is trying to communicate here. We're not getting to sit across the table from him and see this. We're not getting to have Epaphras, who was, come in and explain this to us like that church in Colossae got to have. The message being here that Christ suffered for the church, his suffering being that which he did on the cross. Paul also rejoicing in those shared sufferings. In other words, because of the cross, because of the gospel, because of serving Christ, Paul is also suffering. 
Therefore, we today as believers are also suffering if we are truly following Christ because we are Satan's number one target. And he's going to trip us up. He's going to attack us. He's going to tempt us. And we're going to experience suffering in that. We're also going to be experience suffering so that our faith grows and we become more mature believers. We will not grow in our faith without some tension. It's just like your muscles. If you've worked out any amount of time or any period of time, you know that it takes some tension and some breaking down of the muscle fibers in order for them to actually get stronger and go forward. It's the same thing in our faith. If you want more information on English translations and you're like, why are there so many? Which ones are most accurate? Why do we do that? Isn't there just one that is the most accurate? We can have that discussion later, okay? Email me. My email's in the communicator. We can discuss that later. We don't have time to go into that this morning. There are good reasons for it. We'll just leave it at that for now. What we can very confidently know what Paul was not saying, that Christ's suffering was anyway, in any way insufficient or not complete, and that Paul then had to come along and complete that suffering so that we could then be saved. That is not what Paul is saying. How do we know that? Again, context. Context, context, context. We don't even have to leave Colossians. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not in him and Paul, me, we have that. It's in Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is God being pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. We looked at this two weeks ago. And through him to reconcile everything to himself. Everything. Remember, everything. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Again, this is Jesus and Jesus alone. You recall in John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not me, an apostle that's going to come on behind me down the road. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. One last couple of verses for context. Chapter 2, 13 and 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. I can't wait to preach through that section in a couple weeks. Being a servant of Christ equals suffering. That suffering is not wasted. As we talked about in our series on lament, he will not waste it. He remembers our tears. He recognizes it and sees it. And it's only through Christ that suffering is not wasted. So when we are tempted to run from him or blame him for our suffering, we are choosing to turn our backs and run from the only one who can actually help us, who can heal us, who can provide for relief from it, as well as give us purpose for having gone through it. We are shooting ourselves in both feet with a 12-gauge when we do that. And I have been a professional at that at times in my life. And I have a feeling that I'm not alone in this room.
when I say that. So again, Paul is not saying that it's in this somewhat confusing verse that Paul is not saying that it's me needing to complete Christ's sufferings because he didn't do enough. The message being that Paul is rejoicing and sharing in some of those same sufferings that Christ suffered. Christ was persecuted and suffered and put to death on the cross because of his message, the gospel. Paul, laying his life down, saying, this is the gospel, this is the good news, and it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter if you take my life or take my freedom. He's writing this letter from prison. I am also going to choose to follow him and proclaim this message as opposed to enjoy the comforts of this world. Okay, so our second thing of being a servant of Christ this morning equals proclaiming Christ. This is verses 25 through 28. I have become his servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In verse 25, Paul says, to make the word of God fully known. You could also say it this way, that I might complete the word of God. He's wanting to complete what was being said. He's wanting to fulfill it. He's wanting to proclaim it. The idea here in the original Greek was be to lay it out fully to lay it out fully, to get it all out there. As somebody tried to explain, say you're trying to play a board game or a card game with somebody and they're just kind of giving you bits and pieces and you're, you're confused and you don't know where you're at. And you just, can you just kind of lay the whole thing out there in front of me so I can kind of have a big picture and then we can zero down into what I do on my turn? Has anybody experienced something along those lines? Paul is saying that here with the scriptures. He's saying, I am laying it out fully. It's all about Christ. And I'm going to proclaim him. No one truly proclaims Christ unless the source of what is being said can be found in the word of God. No one is truly proclaiming Christ unless the source can be found in the word of God. When somebody says God is leading them to do something or the Lord is prompting me to do something or the Holy Spirit is guiding me in something, if you can't back that up, at least the principles of it, in Scripture, I would caution. I would caution in resonating and agreeing in with what they say. God knows their heart. We don't. It's not our place to judge, but I would be cautious in that. So keep that in mind. Again, Paul building up his case here in Colossians to the church against the false teaching, against the Gnostics of this time. And then in verse 26, Paul references the mystery hidden for ages and for all generations. The mystery that Paul is referencing here is to reveal to the Gentiles, specifically in this verse, in this context, to the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ reconciling all men and women to God through his life, death, and resurrection. You see, up until this time in the early church, the gospel was only being proclaimed to the Jews, to the Israelites. 
And as Christ revealed himself to Paul on that Samaritan road, if you know that story, he was all about to be able to launch missions, if you will, into the rest of the world. So that all might know, not just what history has known as God's people from Israel. It's why we today know Christ. Because of this. And so when scripture says Gentiles, keep in mind what it is meaning is everybody outside of God's people, the Israelites, specifically that nation. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It pause, causes me to pause and to think, and, and I, I find myself amazed often how many times that I see and hear believers in person and online seem to value patriotism and our country over their faith in the gospel. The gospel began <laughs> in another continent. Jesus was Middle Eastern, not American and white. The gospel's for everyone, from every country, every tribe, and every nation. It's not a white faith. This is not American faith. This is not a faith based on skin color or gender. It is a gospel for everyone. I am grateful for our country. Don't, don't misread anything I'm saying here. I'm, I am grateful for the freedoms that our country allows us to have, that we can do this without fear of soldiers coming in the doors and hauling us off. I am very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the men and women who serve our country so that we have those freedoms. But sometimes I wonder if those freedoms and that privilege aren't the exact thing that distracts us from being fully surrendered to Christ. How easy it is to be apathetic in our faith because of that. You see, there's multiple resources out there that says that Christianity is actually growing by leaps and bounds in areas of the world where it's illegal to be a Christian. Where you could lose your life, lose your job, lose your family, go to jail for going to church, for being a believer. And yet, those same resources and statistics show that Christianity is declining here, where we don't have those fears. So I think it's important that each one of us take time to pause and reflect. Are we more concerned about being in a patriot and American and pushing a legislation than we are about the gospel at work in our own lives and how we can proclaim that gospel to those around us? Verse 28, Paul explains exactly what elements he covers when he proclaims Christ or when he preaches. This is Verse 28 is one of those texts that preachers look at and go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to say when I preach. This is how, how I teach, to proclaim, to warn, and to teach wisdom. Proclaiming or preaching Christ. And pointing everyone back to Christ. 
In fact, everything in Scripture points to Christ, even in Genesis, foreshadows of His coming. So when we proclaim Christ, we are to exalt Him, the gospel and the work of His salvation on the cross, and, and then we are also to warn out of love, not out of condemnation, not out of looking down our nose, who, who are we? without sin to cast the first stone but out of love and desire that others might also know Christ better love him more to warn them about the folly of sin so if you make that choice what will that lead to what do you what do you hope to gain by going forward with that decision where does that path lead Scripture tells us plainly. And to remind each other in love in that. Not to condemn and to point a finger. But then emphasizing the wisdom that is in the Word of God. And again, not as we've looked at in previous passages in Colossians, not to increase our overall knowledge so that we're a smarty pants and we know better than everybody. But our Spiritual wisdom and knowledge increases as Paul prayed over this church so that we might more fully know Christ. And yes, knowing more about Scripture is good, but only knowing this without the relationship with Him is a Pharisee. There are lots of people with lots of head knowledge, but they don't know Christ. This teaching and preaching, you might pause and think, go, hey, yeah, that's your job, Matt. Great. That's actually on all of us, just so you know. You're in the same boat with me on this. Now, it may not be in this role or this setting, but inside your home, mom, dad, it's you, not me. It's on you. Grandma, grandpa, you get to have that same influence as well. Friend, brother, sister, to a coworker, to a neighbor, we're all accountable to this. The settings might look different. You might not have a microphone on. In fact, I don't recommend it if you can help it. <laughs> but we're all on for this as a believer in Christ to proclaim him. There is no greater message of love we could share with anybody. There is no greater way we can love others around us than to introduce them and tell them about the answer, the hope, our salvation. Being a servant of Christ equals suffering for Christ. And it also equals proclaiming Christ, making the gospel known to everyone. Our third being a servant of Christ equals laboring for Christ. Verse 29, Paul says, I labor for this, striving with this strength that works powerfully in me. The English Standard Version says it this way, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love how the ESV words this. I am toiling, I am struggling. 
not on my strength. Paul's saying, this is not on my strength. This is with all of God's strength. Again, back to that prayer that we would be strengthened with all power of God's glorious might. Struggling with God's strength and energy that he powerfully works within me. So don't mistake laboring for Christ and working for Christ. Us, you know, pulling up our pants and bootstraps and just trying to grit our teeth and get after it more. It's actually more of a posture like this. Of surrendering more fully. And so that as he works the gospel in us and transforms who we are and what we believe, our actions will be to suffer for him, to proclaim him, and to labor for him. Scholars say that the word for toil or labor here, it denotes labor to exhaustion. Labor to exhaustion. Little conscience pricker here. Probably a few of us have stayed up late watching a football game or a movie or binging on something. Being exhausted the next day. But when was the last time we were exhausted because we were serving Christ? Labor to exhaustion. Work that left one so weary that it was as if that person had taken a beating. And then Paul follows up that word toil with struggling, which is actually an even stronger term than toil. We derive the English word agony from it. And then by combining these words together, Paul was in no way bragging, but capitalizing, bolding with thunder and underlining his work to present everyone complete in Christ. Everyone willing to work to exhaustion and agonizing and struggling because of Christ's energy in him. Now, I believe that rest is important. Christ modeled that when he was here on earth. But our culture, again, I'm not like anti-American today. It kind of feels like that, doesn't it? But I'm not. Our culture does take this to an extreme. We strive and we work and we save for retirement so we can just kick back and relax and enjoy the comforts of this world and not have to work anymore. And now I can just kind of float off to pasture and get my due. God did not create us to do that. I am for saving for retirement. I am all for that. I think there is beauty and blessing in saving for a future where you don't have to have that paycheck. But can you imagine using that margin and space in your life to then serve him even more fully? There are two men in our former church who are doing just that. One is leading trips to Honduras three, four times a year of the mission field. He's in his late 70s. Another man is in his early 70s and he is trying to shut down his business here so he can go be a full-time missionary in Spain and reach out 
He's an Hispanic man. Trying to go to, he already knows the language. So he can go and minister to the Muslims. They have got it right. We have around here too. It doesn't mean you're called to a foreign land. We have representatives and positive, incredible examples of that, of people here who serve this body, who are not just kicking back and fishing and golfing and whatever else you do in retirement. It is important to rest, but we rest so that we can then serve him. Vacations aren't bad. But if our, if our hope is that we can save so we can just travel the world nonstop, I really hope and pray that that's so that you can proclaim Christ as you go. I think those who are of that age have so much that we can glean from and learn from. We need your wisdom. We need you to mentor us. Those of us who are younger. What a great, great way to serve. And we can be tempted to say, well, Matt, I, I don't have time. I don't have the ability to just drive anywhere at any time. Or I have some disabilities and different things. And I'm here to tell you that we can all do something. There's a story I'd like to share with you about a woman in Africa who became a Christian. This was several years ago. She was filled with gratitude. She decided she would do something for Christ. However, she was blind, uneducated, and she was 70 years old. She went to the missionary who led her to Christ with her Bible that was translated into French, not in Braille. And she asked the missionary to underline the verse, John 3.16, in red ink. Missionary was kind of perplexed, not really fully understanding why this lady would want her to do that, but the missionary did. Shortly thereafter, this missionary witnessed this elderly, elderly woman take her Bible and have help getting herself positioned in front of a boys' school in the afternoons. When school dismissed, she would call out to a boy or two to come over. Hey, you can just hear in her language, Sonny, hey, Sonny boy, come over here. And she would ask him, do you know French? And they, some of them would respond, yes, I do. And then she would ask them, would you please read this passage that's underlined in red in my Bible here? So they would read it. And after they did, she would say, well, what do you think that means? And she would tell them about Christ. The missionary completing the story said that over the years, several young men became Christians, 24 of them ended up becoming pastors in Africa because she was willing to do what she could to proclaim Christ. We have no clue how God will use what seems like a seemingly insignificant, simple act of obedience to him. We have no clue how God will use that, how God can transform a community or a nation. That's on him. Our part is to be obedient in what he's calling us to do. To be surrendered to him. And we labor for Christ so that we can present others fully 
mature to God so that they too might know him, be in a relationship with him. We do this by suffering for him and how we suffer. We do this by proclaiming him with our example and with our words. You got to have both. You got to have both. You got to be able to speak it as well as live it and laboring for him. And then our strength, as Paul said, to serve Christ in this way is from him with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. Our response this morning is not to make a list of all the things we need to go out and do afterward. Our response this morning would be to humble ourselves more fully to our Savior and Lord. With arms open wide and hands open saying, God, what would you have me do? Let me be open and attentive as you bring this to me. He'll bring him right to your front door. (laughs) You'll bump into him at the store. You'll be in a meeting with him at work. You'll be on the phone with him. I promise you all have opportunities this week. How will we respond when those opportunities present ourselves? With the energy that Christ powerfully works within us. If you'd like to have somebody pray for you this morning, to pray with you um, as we are dismissed, I will be available at front. Um, Kurt and Kayleen are in the lobby. Grab them as well. I've got Donna over here as well. Uh, Gary and Gina are not normally over, or normally over here, but I know Ollie and Tina and um, others around this room. If I'm not mentioning your name, but you're willing to pray with somebody, just keep your ears open so you can hear how that opportunity comes up. But thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I love you guys. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I am so grateful that this is not on me to be a better servant, but it's because of you inside me. God, it is you, your son, and the work of the Holy Spirit inside every person here that allows us to be a better servant for you. Father, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that is wondering about how we can actually rejoice in suffering, how there can be purpose in it and through it, who is this Jesus that can make this so, that they would ask. God, they would have courage to ask to know more. And truly the only, (laughs) the only thing we're letting go when we do is our own pride. Because Christ, you've already died for them. You've already initiated your love and your plan of redemption for their life. They just need to receive it. And then you promise to help us all, each along the way. We are not perfect. 
we are still battling that fleshly sin nature inside us, but the hope that is there before us, the faith to know that the hard things of life have purpose, and God, you will use them, and then to know that one day, when these earthly tents are worn out, and you call us home, that we will get to stand before you, our Savior. And you will be there with open arms. And God will see the death of his son instead of our sin and welcome us as his children, as his sons, as his daughters into an eternity without pain, without tears, without loss. No more suffering. Thank you for this rain today, Lord. It's how you replenish the earth, a reminder how you have order and balance and you desire to replenish our souls each and every day. So I know I wear out those mercies that are new every morning and I need them each 